Welcome listeners, it's Adrian here from Market Attack and on today's show I've got two guests. I've got John Hare and Gustav Hedenborg. Now John Hare, he was the co-founder of Sensible Software, went on to make Canonfold and Sensible Soccer and Gustav, well he worked on some iconic Pro Evolution Soccer titles. They've now joined forces to work on Sociable Soccer, the spiritual successor I would say to Sensible Soccer. So guys, enjoy this really great chat about football games, you know, titles that define the genre, what it's like working together now on a you know really classy game, and lots more in between. So sit back and enjoy a great chat with two retro gaming legends. Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Hello listeners, welcome back to the latest Arcade Attack podcast. It's Adrian here and I've got not one, but two amazing guests on today's show. Uh, a while ago, one of our earliest sort of text interviews was John Hare, a proper legend, um, the, the creator of one of my favorite games of all time. And it's, it's a real honor to actually get him not just on the text interview, but actually on the show. So, John, thank you so much for coming today. Hi, Adrian. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I hope you have a fun evening. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it will be. I can't wait to chat. And also, we've got Gustav uh, Hedenborg. Um, Gustav, thank you so much for coming in board again obviously you guys know each other well and yeah. i know that you used to work in the pro evolution games and you know you've got lots of exciting things in the pipelines but thank you for your time again today as well yeah thank you adrian and and it's really nice to be on the show and and uh we've talked quite uh for quite a long time and and now we we we're doing it finally <laughs> you know I know for a fact uh, a lot of our listeners are huge fans of the games you've worked on and you know currently working on right now. So it'd be really interesting to hear your sort of backstory a bit as well. Um, John, I'd like to start with you though, if that's all right. Um, now, I'm not trying to give you a big ego or a big head, but Sensible Software was probably my favourite company on the Amiga growing up. So I, I, it was, you know, cannon fodder, Sensible Soccer. It, it really was up there with my favourite games. Um, I'd love to know though how you started, how you got the idea of actually starting this company and you know what were the early game ideas before you sort of you know really moved on to the real big hitters okay well i mean i'll try and keep it as brief as i can so myself and chris yates who set the company up knew each other from school we met in the like the last year of when you're just taking your your o levels i guess so we were about 15 16 and uh we started very quickly we formed a band together with another guy in the school and so we were basically writing music together for years from um, very early 80s. And actually, we, we started making games four or five years after we'd started writing music. So um, Chris taught himself how to program. I was more of an arts person. And we started making games together. He did the programming. I did the art. Uh, Chris got offered a job by a company locally in Basildon. Where we, were, uh, we were near Chelmsford at the time. And uh, he took a job and then I kind of, helped him out with some graphics one day he was struggling with the graphics and they liked my work and gave me a job and so for the first nine months to a year we were kind of like working freelance for this local company and then we made a, the very first game we made together was something called twister on the spectrum uh which was a uh, the, the kind of like 
briefing we got from Mark Kale around System 3 at the time is it's like Tron, but there's a woman with big tits flying around in the sky chucking discs at you. And uh, that was it. So we made a, we kind of made a game based on Mark's theme. Then later we added a bra to the woman and uh, that came out and that was, that was, that was our first game. But that was all under, that was before we didn't set Sensible Software up. This was under LT Software, our old company. And then it was, at that time it was the 80s, sort of like that mid 80s period there's no work there's a lot of unemployment and um when we left school and the government enterprise scheme was around which meant you got 40 pound a week for running your own company and at the time i think chris was 19 i was 20 or we were both 19 or we we're both similar age anyway uh and uh we set up the company uh yeah in march 1986 and uh the first game we made was parallax for ocean on the Commodore 64 and then the second game was Whizball, which was actually pretty good. It's our best game on the Commodore 64, I think. And then then we did Shoot Up Construction Kit. We got a number one game from that. And then Micropro Soccer, International 3D Tennis, and a few budget games in the middle of them. And then uh, then we got Megalomania on the Amiga and the um, ST. And, you know, our first, like, 16-bit game. Well, purpose-built 16-bit game, 3D tennis actually spanned 8-bit and 16-bit. And then after Megalomania, it was during Megalomania, the long testing sessions when we when we were kind of finishing it off and playing kickoff two a lot in the breaks whilst we wait for the builds to be made that we um, started to think about and design and build Sensible Soccer. It was in 1991. We started to make it and it came out in 92. I've got some more questions on Sensible Soccer. Don't you worry, Job. But that's that's great. How did you come up with the name Sensible Software? Was it just something that sprung in your head? or I can't remember. We were like, I spent a lot of time at Chris's house. Like, Chris lived with his dad, and his dad was away working abroad a lot. And so we had the house to ourselves with a cat. And um, uh, so we tended to, I tended to be there as much as I could, really. And we would just hang around, do what we want. And I think when the Sensible Software name came about, we might have been stoned. I can't quite remember. But we, we ended up with the name, and I liked it because it started with an S and ended with an E, both the words Sensible and Software. So I drew a logo, like a big S at the start and a big E at the end, and then the small letters Ensible and Oftwar, like between them. And that's how we, we kind of then stuck with that name and started to work around it. And it, it, it obviously it stood the test of time. It's quite a decent name for a company. And I've noticed a few, I've, there are even some other Sensible Software names I see popping up sometimes from like other companies. Um, Oh, yeah, no, not copyrighted then or anything. People, <laughs> that sounds a bit bit weird. Well, Sensible Software now is uh, belongs to Codemasters. We sold the company to Codemasters in 1999. It's actually their trademark, but okay. if they don't want to protect it, then there's not much I can do about it. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, so obviously, John and Gustav, you, you work with each other now. But I'm trying to sort of pay, look at the history a bit, how you got there. So, yeah. Gustav, mm-hmm. it's right that you worked at Disney. You've worked at you know one of the biggest companies in the world, Disney, and you end up at Konami. Is that right? Can you sort of yeah, like before I I got the contract with Konami, I I was um, I was I was kind of uh, looking for a job after school, and I I couldn't really find anything. I had been studying educational science, and I couldn't get uh, I couldn't get the job, and so I uh, okay. Yeah, well, well, anyhow, this is how it uh, went. I. I was looking for a job and I, I went to Stockholm on an interview uh, at for Disney actually and um, and they were looking for people uh, for the summer and the only condition was that you 
you you had to be able to speak some kind of basic French to work in Disney and in Paris. And uh, I got I got the job there, and I was working um, a, a whole summer at the at at Disney in the in the cashier. So oh, yeah. and, and uh, with um, with you know, like uh, guest services. So this was. This was back in 2008 and I was it was a really great experience to work at Disney because you met so many people from around the world there and it was also nice to see how the organization behind such a big company was structured and it was it was a good experience and then I moved on, then I got the job at after that I worked at IKEA and at at also at Konami so big companies I've been at big companies seen how the structure is they're, they're all huge companies. What, what was your role at Konami then? And what were you doing? Because, you know, they're a huge company, aren't they? Let's be honest. What was your role there? Yeah, I, I, I guess I had that kind of dream to work for a, a, um, a games company since I was uh, a kid. You know, I, I, I looked at what, what could I possibly do uh, at the games company. And I did some coding when I was younger, but I, it never really... It didn't really catch my. I it, I didn't really want to program because it, it it was not in my interest to do it. I I really liked football. I really liked to watch the players how they how it actually worked on the on the pitch and and so I started to um, I started to create uh, kind of leagues and and players and 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 I did that when when there. Uh, when Sensible came out, actually, I started to edit those names in that in that game, and also <clears throat> I got my hands on a Japanese version of International Superstar Soccer, um, which came out in Europe, but in the Japanese edition, it was kind of it had a memory in it, so you could actually edit the names on it. So I edited all the names on the Japanese version, and. We played with that uh, at the like kind of a uh, uh, place where all the kids could go, and I I had put in all the names of the 1994 squads in into all the World Cup teams, and we played a lot with that because that ISS um, Deluxe it it was so um, it it had it had these kind of all the, all the players had different hairstyles so you could see the superstars so they were easy to edit like Kanich had a band in his hair and you know uh, Bergkamp had this kind of square uh, uh, hair and you know all these you could you could see them and then yeah we played with that and and then um, in in 2004 or 5 I had I had this kind of vision that I wanted to do the whole Swedish league, so I did that, and there there was fifteen, uh, sixteen teams, or yeah, fifteen or sixteen teams that I did, and I did them like one by one, and I put up all the stats on uh, a blog that I created, and a lot of followers from Sweden started to follow me, and and they had their opinions about who was best at what, and blah blah blah, and then and they said like you should send this to Konami, and I and fortunately. Konami had an office in in um, Scandinavia and Stockholm at that time, so I sent it to them, and they said, "This is really cool. We would like to use this in a derby in Stockholm." 
would he like to come up? And I asked, like, okay, sure, I'll do that. But then I then I thought again, hmm, what can I get for this? <laughs> so, so I asked, like, uh, if I get a new Xbox, uh, I'll do it. And then they, they sent me a new Xbox. And, and on that way, I got, like, I wasn't taken advantage of, I think. I was just, like... They they thought like yeah okay he'll do this he 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 wants something for this and and then we started talking about that Konami had set up this big kind of um, league for players and I just like thought hmm maybe I can take maybe I can do something with this league and make it like a big thing in in Northern Europe and and so I had another friend who was a programmer. Um, he did coding on websites, had just finished his, uh, his university studies. And, and I said, like, hmm, do you think that we can create like a database and, and a website for this game? And, and he said, yeah, I, I have already thought about that. Look at this prototype that I have. And, and he and I, we looked at it and wow, this is kind of advanced stuff for, for, uh, and perfect for, for a football game, you could report results and it created a, a league table by itself on the site. It was really advanced for being like 2005, six. So we were like ahead of time and we showed this to Konami and they said, well, you can, you get four month contract just to kind of, we can see if it's, if it's like good for both, for both parties. And I, I took advantage of that situation and made, made some money on that and was, and then I, I came back uh, after the summer when I had worked at Disney. They, I said, like, hmm, if, I, if I'm going to do this, I want to be paid like, yeah, I want to be paid for doing it. And I gave them my price and they said, <laughs> and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll pay you that. And I was just like, okay, let's do this. And I was there for uh, three and a half years. That's, that's pretty, that's great. It's a great story how, you know, being a fan of the games actually mm-hmm. then- to a job and I was going to mention a little bit cheekily were you a fan of sensible soccer growing up I you kind of answered yeah. stuff yeah you, you enjoyed I, that. I was I was introduced to the game in maybe 90 93 I think uh, it was uh it was uh, like John Jan said it came out in 92 and I I was probably in, I, I I remember playing the the first version I think it was the first version where you had uh, it was like the 1992 squads for the European Championship or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that that was the first one I played, and I and and it was amazing because you had like you had the superstars and they had the correct names and everything. So I was kind of intrigued by that, and then you could change everything. You can change the names of the players. I love that and change. Yeah, already then didn't you have? Well, I think. Uh, some other uh, guy on another podcast brought up this that <laughs> sensible uh, software and and John introduced the first uh, for example black players and and that kind of stuff and that was like kind of amazing there they were looking different and everything was like that that kind of uh, feeling and and scoring goals in that game was more satisfying than in many. And, and so many other games because you had these great sound effects when you scored. I, I, I admire that game a lot. And we, 
me, me and my friend for the coming next years, we looked forward to every released version and we played it on both PC and Amiga. Yeah, me, me and you both, Gustavo. I, I have to say, mm. I, I probably bought every game going on the Amiga. But John, mm. I want to know actually, because I've heard rumors and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but was Sensible Soft Soccer like initially just almost like a, a thing you did on the side of other games, kind of a thing in the office? Did, I'd love to know how you got the idea of making sensible soccer and how it kind of expanded from an idea into, well, a, a game changer. Well, I mean, from a sensible software perspective, we'd already done a football game. We did Micropro Soccer in 1988 on the Commodore 64, um, which went to number one in, in many European countries, including the UK, and uh, computer and video games at the time of its launch called it the best sports game on any machine available. So. You know, although that was inspired by Take On World Cup, which was an arcade machine, um, we'd already done a sports game, already done a football game, more importantly. And then we did International 3D Tennis uh, two years before Sensible Soccer was launched. And the reason that game is important is because that's the first time that I tried to put a real world of football into a, a game, a real world of sport into a game. And we had this tennis game. It was a bit of a weird, I don't know, most people haven't played that game. It was a bit of a weird Three attempt to do 3D graphics on the Commodore 64. It went over to the Amiga and other machines. Um, and the tennis was not bad, a bit slow because the 3D was slow, but the game played okay. But in the background, I, I, I bought a magazine from about tennis from the, the news agents. And, and I decided we would replicate the whole real world of tennis in the game. So like all the tournaments, not just the famous, you know, US Open and Wimbledon or whatever, but, you know, the Miami Open and the Shanghai Masters and whatever else there are. So I looked at the basically how it works, what the calendar of the year is for all the players, what the prize money is for every single round. And you basically picked your way on a circuit around the world, deciding which tournaments to play in, try to rack up loads of money in the season. And the reason that's important is, is because all of the professional players in the world, were tennis players in the world, were added into that game. The whole, you know, taking reality and making it into a game in a sport was done first in 3D tennis. So really sensible soccer was kind of like a combination of what we'd learned from both micropro soccer and 3D tennis, actually. Um, and then when we were making Megalomania, I don't know if you've played Megalomania, it's got those the little men in it. Did you ever play it? I, I was a fan, yeah. Very, yeah. yeah, so Megalomania was the first sensible soccer game with little men in it. And when we were, like I said, when we were making me and Chris Chapman, who was the programmer of, megalomania um we we're working so many late nights in the office it was like i've never killed myself more for a game than megalomania to finish it it was a, a real proper nightmare and uh when we were finishing it we we were just playing a lot of kickoff too like just to wait for the builds to happen and stuff and um during that time i was kind of basically hanging around waiting for things to be ready for me to test and check and I was doing all the art. I did all the art for Megalomania and I did all the art for the original Sensible Soccer. So I started to doodle around by, by making the Megalomania win where, where football kids and getting them to run around in the Megalomania world. And uh, then kind of like we'd kind of made the decision to, to, to make a football game. And we basically just took the Megalomania men and instead of running around in the Megalomania world with castles and uh, factories and stuff, we just made it a football pitch and the perspective worked really, really well. And that's really how Sensible Soccer started from the luck of the perspective of Megalomania really working well with a view for a football game. And 
the reason people liked it at the time, I believe, wasn't just because it was good fun to play, but it allowed you to strategize on the pitch and see enough ahead of yourself to pick your passes and make your moves. And no other game really gave that at the time. And then we basically just took the, the model we'd had on 3D tennis and just replicated the real world, although the real world of football was much bigger than tennis. And uh, yeah, and like Gustav said, we, we were the first, uh, we might even be the first sports game to have had, you know, like multiracial athletes in it. Uh, and the reason for that was pretty obvious. I mean, there were some other games I'd played and they had John Barnes and John Barnes was white in it. And this just looked so wrong. It's like, hang on, John Barnes is number seven. He plays for Liverpool. Uh, he plays in the left-hand side of the midfield and he wears a red kit. And that's who John Barnes was to me, apart from being a good, really good player. And uh, having a really cool voice, I've got to say. And um, so, yeah, so that was it. That was really inspiration. Well, that's easy enough. Well, I knew as a, as a as a game maker, the only reason no one had done it is because the artists were too lazy to do it. And no one could be bothered to do it. And the programmers had to say which sprite you allocate to which player. And that was too much work for everybody. So we decided, well, we'd do that. So we also added guys with blonde hair. So there are three, model, three models, like white guy with dark hair, white guy with blonde hair, and a black guy. Yeah. And But at the, at the zoomed out level that we had, and then using the uh, using the shirt number above their head to identify them, mm-hmm. uh, and the right p- pitch position. That was enough, you know. That was enough to know you were now looking at Liverpool. You were now looking at Tottenham or you know Norwich, in case we might see or whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, that it was it was it was important for making an authentic version of that sport to make players look as much as you could within the bounds of memory that we had. So, yeah, I'm very proud of that, actually. I'm very proud that we made a proper game for the world and included every league under the sun we could find back in the 90s, you know, like a decade before anyone was thinking about this stuff. I mean, how many hours went into putting all this data into the game? It must have been absolutely incredible. (laughs) Well, but basically, it was an interesting system we used. So we devised the system because we... First of all, we've got to devise what a player is. So we decided we wanted the seven skills, which is tackling, heading, passing, ball control, speed, finishing, and shot power. We decided that's what we wanted. We decided the goalkeepers would have just have one skill called goalkeeping. And then we found a guy called Mike Hammond who was writing a football book for Rothmans at the time. Now he's writing the UEFA football book. And basically his job was to just write about every football team in Europe. You know, a big, big, thick manual every every year about all the squads and all the teams and who played and all their appearances, everything, a real data fest. And uh, so when we met Mike, it was it was like, can you transfer your data that you've got in your book into what we need for our game with, with our skills? And Mike said, sure. So Mike, basically, we had one guy doing all the data for that first sensible soccer. It was just Mike. But he basically already had it kind of in a different format for his work writing this book and then when we got to sensible world of soccer and we really expanded the world out and that game has got 23,000 players and one and a half thousand teams from memory I mean even to obscure as the third division in El Salvador which is like really super obscure um and and all of, all of the research outside of Europe was done by a guy called Serge Van Hoof a Belgian guy uh, so Mike basically just employed another guy himself to do extra data and he supplied that and um yeah that that's been uh 
a model we still use. I mean, even in our current game, Sociable Soccer, it's exactly the same player data system. Uh, there's a guy we work with called David White, who does the, all the research for us now. But we met Dave because Dave was actually continuing to update the social, the sensible soccer database for like the people who make the sort of like modern versions carrying on with the old game of the updated data. So we just gave Dave a job to do it properly for us on social soccer. So that's the continuity of how the data's worked. We've always managed to do it in a way where we work with the right person to make it, you know, very light kind of job. Really, well, it's a heavy job, but it's, it doesn't require a huge team. Mm. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, your the game you made more than twenty years ago is still being played today with updated with with the latest Premier League players. It's incredible, isn't it? Really, um, it's yeah. such an iconic game. Well, the thing the thing the thing is, as a as an artist, if you like. Yeah. Once, when you make something that gets really successful and big, it becomes very different from you. It takes its own life. And, you know, it is what it is for a lot of people. And you become a custodian of the thing that you made as opposed to the owner of it. It's a slightly different relationship with your work. Yeah. And uh, it, it might sound a bit pretentious to talk about, but it's really true. You know, some things, they just get their own life. People... You know, with, with a game like Sensible Soccer or, or Cannon Fodder, which would be the other obvious big one, yes. people have put a lot of their own self in these games and they've they've, they've added themselves to that game in a way that I don't know about. And it's not my my relationship with the game is not important in the context of their relationship with it, if you know what I mean. It's like the way we relate to music or books or films that we love. It's the same. You know, so you're just like, as the creator, you're like, that's a weird thing to say, but it's like you kind of like channeled this thing somehow into existence and then now it's doing its own thing. It's yeah, like it's, a kid. It's having a kid and letting it run away, you know? Raise a child. <laughs> now it's, it's doing its own kind of stuff. You, yeah, must, exactly. you must have to pinch yourself sometimes, John, just knowing you've made, not you know, let's, let's put cannon fodder as well, two massive titles that are just, it's unbelievable, <laughs> truthfully. It's crazy. Well, I mean, um, we've, been, we've been lucky because, you know, also Whisper was really big on the Commodore 64 and there's been, Others as well, Shoemup Construction Kit and Megalomania's Electric Extent. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been lucky to do this when I was quite young because I've lived my, most of my life with, as, an, as a creative person, often you, you feel like you've got to spend your life validating yourself. And, you know, it's a struggle for many people. And for me, I've been lucky. I've had that really young. I mean, in my 20s to have big success. And, and it's kind of meant that I don't have to justify myself because of it, which is a great thing because I would be really bad at having to do that. So, and I, and I have a lot of sympathy for people who just haven't had the same fortune as we had. I mean, I'm not saying we didn't deserve it. We had a lot of talent, but we also had a bit of fortune. Mm. You need both, you know, and yeah, you, need you need both. Yeah. Yeah. You have to foot them. Just, and, uh, we, I don't spend too long talking about football specifically, but um, it so kind of leads on to a, a question later about, so who's, of, well, John, I know you're a big Norwich fan. You know, um, that's absolutely yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Arsenal fan. Um, Gustav, who do you support again? Is it a Swedish team? Is that right? Yeah, it's Helsingborg. Um, and Helsingborg is famous for having um, uh, Henrik Larsson uh, playing for us. Like he's a he's a legend, like in many clubs, and now he's the assistant coach in Barcelona. And you know, he's been around. He's been in he's been in Celtic. He's been in Manchester United. He's been at Barcelona, yeah, and Feyenoord too. So I, I mean, oh. he's the biggest. He's the biggest footballer that comes from our, from 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 Sweden. Well, besides Ibrahimovic, 
he is probably the second most famous Swedish player. Um, but uh, yeah, so I support Helsingborg, but we're like fourth from the bottom in the Premier League in Sweden. So not going too well, but I hope we can stay in the, league, in the Premier Division. <laughs> it doesn't matter if oh. you go down, Gustav, you can bounce back again. Yeah, I know. But Norwich fan. In everything. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favourite players for Norwich then, John, if, you can, if I don't mind asking? Well, you asking. mean of all time, you mean? Yeah, of all time, yeah. Okay, uh, number one, because when, when I, I guess when I really started to go to the games, which was a bit later than when I started supporting them, uh, Darren Eady would be my very number one. Do you remember Darren Eady? It rings a bell. Yeah, I remember Darren Huckabee. He was he was Norwich. Huckabee is also brilliant. I mean, I, yeah. I've, I've played in a bunch of charity games at Norwich, and uh, I've I've shared a dressing room with Huckabee and chatted to him whilst we've been changing before and after a game, uh, along with a whole bunch of other players. So like Grant Holt, another hero of mine. I've done the same thing with him. There's been Jeremy Goss, Dale Gordon, and Dean Ashton. What a player, Dean Ashton! My God, fantastic. Was- when, when you stand on a pitch with someone like that, unbelievable player. You know, I saw when we, we were warming up for this game and someone someone was kicking just corners in, you know, just when you just before a game. And Dean Ashton was kind of I was standing quite near to him, he was standing on the edge of the D and the goalkeeper was just there and it was just warming up. This guy like hit three corners in a row and all three Dean Ashton volleyed into the top corner, one after the other. From the D. I've never seen that before. And and it's you don't, and, and the guy couldn't play. You know, his knees had gone, so he couldn't play at a competitive level. But the quality, it's un, unreal. So, I mean, I would say probably Edie and Holt are probably my favourite two. Uh, at the moment, I really love Alex Tetty because he's been with us for ages. And, you know, we've got some, we've got a really good, exciting squad at the moment. Uh, um, we've got a coach who's a brilliant with young players, like really brilliant with young players. Uh, and, uh, be interesting to see if we can get back up again. And the problem for Norwich as a club, we don't want to be going to just talking football for a while. You know, for, for, for many years, we've been on the same level as teams like Southampton and Leicester. We've been practically equal quality teams. But in the last 10 years or so, we've let that slip. You know, we've had Leicester going on and winning the league and Southampton being a perennial Premier League club and surviving through a great youth system. And we've kind of like what I would consider to be our peer clubs, clubs like them and Palace and West Brom and, you know, that level of club. We've kind of let ourselves dip below that a little bit. And uh, it'll be, I hope we can just get up just to being like, a, I don't know, to just, just a little bit further up than, than we are at the moment. I don't mind us being in the low reaches of the Premier League sometimes. I don't mind the odd relegation for a season or two, but it's just been a bit too frequent in the last like 10 or 15 years or so, 20 years. No, well, well said. Um, also, kind of linked to that, but also just kind of linked to your gaming careers, guys. Do you, mm-hmm. Obviously, you've got your favourite players. And I guess I don't know how much power you had for Pro Evolution Soccer, but did you have any bias or any even subconscious bias about when you were doing player stats about, oh, I love this player, I'm going to sort of up his stats slightly, or did you try and keep it professional in that sense? Well, I was trying, well, of course, like when I started making the teams in the Swedish Premier League, I... I started actually from, I started in alphabetical order. So I started with a team that began with an A and that was the Stockholm team. And I, 
I kind of picked out uh, I kind of picked out the big stars uh, and then I started from started making them and then I looked at the other Swedish players that were in the game uh, and I and Henrik Larsson was the best player in the Swedish uh, team back in 2005 when I was doing the uh, the first option file and and from that from that base of how his stats look you uh, you you uh, if you played pass you know that in pass you have uh, about 25 30 different stats and 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 getting all those uh, right can be tough when you start out with you have to look you look at I took Henrik Larsson as a bass player, and then I used him, and I thought, okay, in, in compared to Henrik Larsson, how is good is this player and this player and this player? And I used the Swedish kind of uh, defense in the national team as a as kind of a standard for how how good would the Swedish defenders be in the Premier League in the Swedish Premier League? And then I used that, and it became quite. It became good, and people played with it, had a lot of fun with it. And I did it for, um, I did two updates for PES, uh, one for PES four, which I just was trying out then, and then for PES five and PES six, I, I made updates. So okay. yeah, so yeah. you did it quite professionally then, John. Were you were you the same, or did you try and upgrade Norwich a little bit? <laughs> uh, well, basically, the three main teams supported in the office were. Liverpool, which was the main programmer, Chris Chapman, myself with Norwich, and Jules, who was the lead programmer on Canford, who was a Sunderland fan. So those three clubs tended to get a little bit of a boost. And Mike, who edited all the data, was a Leicester fan, so I'm sure he boosted a few Leicester players <laughs> on the way to. <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I mean, sensible soccer, just going back to that, was, again, John, probably one of the reasons I actually really got into football full stop. Uh, uh-huh. I wasn't. Really nice. into- yeah, honestly, and it's, it's the reason I liked it so much is it was ridiculously playable. It, it, it the playability was you know you, you, any you could do crazy curves for your shots, but you're right, there was strategy involved, and there was a huge pitch, um, and it was just pick up and play, and you could play, anyone could play it, but to master it, I thought you really had to put the time in it, and just it's such a good two player game. I mean, do you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but why do you think and feel it was such a success, and were you? quite surprised by how it sort of grew um, well, over the next few years. Sensible Soccer was our, I think it was our seventh like full title as opposed to the budget titles. Tenth if you include the budget ones. And um, we kind of knew a way around games and how to make games by then, obviously. And we knew a way around the Amiga pretty well by then as well. And sometimes you do something and it just falls in place and you've got to really call it quick right, it's magic, that works, don't touch it. And Sensible Soccer, for whatever reason, you know, we planned how we were going to do it and how it was going to work, but it just felt brilliant after two months. And I've never made another game like it that's fallen into place so well. But the thing that we did well was when it was really good, we just stopped people from touching it. We said, right, that bit's done. We're not going to touch that. We're going to build around that. And... You know, I've worked on many, many games since, and, it, and, and I've never had that experience where that that's happened. But also having the sense to then know that we were onto a winner and know to be very delicate with it and not, you know, not affect it too much after then. 
Um, it's easy to accidentally unbalance a game like that. That's very much about action and feeling. And it's, it's like any, like, like we're working on social soccer at the moment. We're continually improving things. And actually just recently, just this last two days, like something we've done with the game and with the goalkeeper, a bit of changes to goalkeepers. And it feels a lot better. And it's important to like, keep on saying that, you know, yeah, that bit's right. We've got that right now. Now let's not forget that. Let's not mess it up. Let's not, accidentally counterbalance something else which feeds into this so i think we did that right with sensible soccer it just kind of worked and we all knew it within two months we knew it'd be a hit game i've never ever had that experience before with any other game apart from that one not and it was cannon fodder that was hugely successful that was that a slightly different cannon fodder is yeah. different because sensible soccer is based around an action that just feels really good it's very hard to say if you've got a car that feels really good to drive it's really hard to capture that apart from actually doing it and feeling it. Cannon fodder was um, a really good idea that was well executed and really well planned. And I, I feel good about that game for a totally different reason. It was, it was the first game I didn't control all the graphics. And uh, I, instead of that, you know, I gave Stu like these really intricate designs on squared paper of how the maps were laid out. And it was very, very carefully planned game. And the execution of that was, was more calculated. Whereas the, Sensible soccer was more how it felt and just running with that and then building the team structure and everything else around it. No, I think appreciate it. Um, Gustav, this question is for you, but I'd also like to hear, John, your opinion. Um, mm -hmm. FIFA and Pro Evolution Soccer, they've had a huge battle. Okay, Arguably, they're, they're the two biggest football games right now. FIFA's mm -hmm. probably, I, I think it's fair to say, now sort of taken the monopoly over PES. But mm -hmm. for a good number of years, Pro Evolution Soccer was regarded as the better title. But kind of FIFA's now seem to be slightly better. What, why, you know, how how would you describe the rivalry when you were working for Pairs back then? Did you hate FIFA? Did you respect them? And what's your views now on the current situation? Well, well, when I when I start when I started to get in contact with Konami, they were they 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 had Pairs four, five, and six. That 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 was their that was their prime time. Like. Um, it was like PES 5 and PES 6. Uh, I think PES 5, you, they started to talk about the possibility of actually passing FIFA uh, in, in some kind of way. Like, and they started to get, uh, I think uh, for the first time, they got some licenses in there. Uh, for, from PES 3 and 4, they started to get licenses, but it wasn't for until... PES 5 and PES 6, they really had a few big licenses, like the, I think it was, uh, they had mm, the, was it the Italian League, the um, the German League one year at least, I think, and then uh, the French League they had. So they were kind of taking territories that were um, very, and they had, I think they had Chelsea and Arsenal as the licensed teams back then. And that kind of, yeah, they, they started to actually, they had a great opportunity to pass FIFA, but then there was a console change. So they were like going over to PS3 and PS3 was not a platform that was easily programmed on. And, and, and they had a, a big, big, um, like a big trouble with that, that platform. And so, 
like we were going to Sevilla to have the yearly championships and and uh, the PES League, uh, the big tournament for all for players all over Europe, uh, the best ones in their in their national league, so to speak, and 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 we had the a big tournament and everybody was really happy. It was great weather in Sevilla. We were, they had rented a stadium for us to just occupy the, the participants of, of, uh, of this tournament. And it was amazing setting, you know, and when we, um, and everything played out great. And then there was a little room when you came into the hotel where they had set up past 2008. It was, they had gone from past six to past 2008. And and it was like that little room <laughs> that it gave a hint of what was to come, and they were not proud of it. So you went into that room, and you played past two thousand eight, and you thought to yourself, "Hmm, this is nothing like what we're playing on PS two." Already there, they had kind of cut. Um, they had they had. Uh, you can say this now, but back then it was like a big deal. Nobody could say anything about the game until it was released. That was the that was there was like a um, I don't know how how you call it in English, but you there there was like a, you, you couldn't say anything about the game until it was released. Uh, so so um, there was uh, a lot of internal talk about what what was happening with the, with the piece uh, the next gen versions. It was big trouble for konami and and the sales like they were mm, they started out well because people thought that the game was going to be good but it was a total like the technical problems in that game and with online uh from the glory of past five and six it was a huge like it was a huge uh disappointment for the fans for the company themselves uh they were ashamed of it like they didn't want to talk about it. It was like, and 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 that disappointment uh, was kind of stuck in the company for uh, about two or three years from from that. And they tried to to make many changes, but they were stuck with this PS3 uh, um, program uh, development kit, and and that was and and they. They did everything from that version, and so they couldn't get away from it until I think was like they started. They started. They really developed. I think Konami didn't also want to spend a lot of money on on the PS3 version, so um, they were shocked when they had been making millions and millions and uh, on on and almost like selling as much as FIFA, but with a, with a production team that was like i don't know like 20 20 people 20 25 people i think and 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 so uh the there was a huge shock in the uh, in the konami board when when this game failed that much and they had to change everything why did they make the changes was it due to technology change or was it yeah, trying they, to- they couldn't keep the the ps Two engine when they changed to uh, PS3, they had to. They 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 took a decision that they were trying to. They they were going to try to make uh, a next gen game and and that kind of. And when I think that they 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 
they came into like a, uh, they were surprised that they couldn't just take the old game and put it on the PS3 and almost be done with it. So they, they got like really stressed when they saw that, oh, this shit, this is not going to, oh, sorry for that. This right. is not going to work. Uh, so they, it was a, an unfinished version. The PES 2008 version was unfinished. It didn't work online. It had like teleportation for uh, uh, because, well, any delay made it teleport really a, a lot. Like the players went all over the place. And, you know, from, from being such a great game on PS2, uh, Dominate kind of starting to take all these parts uh, on the market. And from going from that to, to the PS, uh, PS3 version, terrible just terrible i think fifa just saw like fifa just like okay we can continue doing what we do and we just because they had a good game on on ps3 and that's that that just like okay and we have and they had the licenses and people saw like okay there's no way we're going with pes anymore we're going to go over to fifa so yeah this is this is what i mean about um trying to keep the magic in the game because that original version that you're talking about of PES, which, which, was, mm. which was amazing, um, mm. w w when technology forces you to change, we we had it with Sensible Soccer when we did Sensible Soccer 98 when we were forced to do 3D. Mm. Maybe it's hard for the public to understand why we did the 3D. Yeah, yeah. Like when I was, like when I was, uh, me and my friend were just we were just waiting for the next title to come and we fought like for our, ourselves when we were waiting for ne the next sensible soccer we fought like hey why are they changing a winning concept why are they just why are they moving over to 3D uh, that's what we fought the, back the, then the and then, is, I mean it's a business yeah. thing so yeah, not, not only were the publishers refusing to sign it or not winning it you know we were being offered four times more money to make it 3D Ah, okay. I mean, it's like it just what what maybe you know the, the, the because the retailers say we're not going to stock PS2 anymore. We're only going to do PS3. Then they tell the publishers that. Then the publishers have to tell the developers that. Mm. And unless you jump to what retail wants, you, you can't sell. And you know, always kind of been the the technology forces to change. But unfortunately, when you've got, like, as I said, a magic balance, like we have a sensible soccer, the mm. technology also forces you to throw your magic balance away because you can't bring it to the new machine. Mm. It's actually one of the reasons, you know, we've had the opportunity with sociable soccer to call the game sensible. Oh, have you really? And Wait, do you, John, it's your microphone yeah, because I can't, I can't hear you all the time now. Can you hear me now? A bit better. Yes, yeah, cutting out a little bit, John, your audio. It's cutting out. Can you hear it now? Yeah, that's yeah. So that seems better. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So, the re if the reason that we decided with sociable soccer to call it sociable soccer and not sensible soccer is partly related to this. I know that I knew that the game we were going to come up with was substantially different to what sensible soccer was, uh, because it's running on modern technology, because um, it's got card collection and all these new things in it that, that the old game never had. So there's there's two reasons to establish a new brand. One is because it's a new game. 
I suppose two is because we don't own Sensible Soccer anymore, though we could have done a deal with Codemasters on that because we're very friendly with them. But third is that sometimes you just got to leave your old brand as it was and not try to just shove new products into old names. Uh, it's kind of like a, a bit of a respect to the game, if you like. It's, you know, and, and I guess Pro Evolution Soccer could have done that. And when you're looking at the way FIFA and Pro Evo are now, I mean, the data, the last time I heard this, it might have changed around a bit in the last couple of years, but but FIFA was outselling Pro Evo by 20 to 1. Wow, that's I didn't know that. That's incredible. Yeah, and, and when it gets that, actually it was 19 to 1, I'm exaggerating. Um, but when it gets that large, the gap, you know, perhaps Konami should have asked himself, have we been doing the right thing? Because you're taking EA on, EA on with a game, which is kind of battling in the same space for the same best simulation out there. And actually, in my opinion, they're both pretty great games. Um, very tired old dinosaur games. I love saying this about those two games, but they are. They're not new. They're not modern. It's, they're In a way, you get stuck. You get stuck with your fan base. Like, we can do what the hell we want with social soccer now. No one is going to stop us. And we're really enjoying it. You know, mm-hmm. every day, every week, we've got new ideas and we're discussing stuff. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm leading the design, but as it happens, like, I know he's there, but Gustav came up with a decent idea yesterday. And I just wrote it into the design because we can, because we've got the freedom. Whereas when you have, when you have uh, an established game, even with a sensible soccer, we've had it. You're going to be very careful that you don't damage people's expectations in the way that Gustav's describing happened mm. between PS2 and PS3 versions of, of PES. And, you know, FIFA has had this as well. You know, FIFA's had good years and bad years. And we know that that works. And, um, my observation of FIFA players at the moment, I go to a lot of conferences and me and Gustav have done maybe, I don't know, six, eight conferences around Europe, mostly with the game in the last few years. And I've, I've made a point apart from showing people our game at these, these conferences of wandering around to the, the other stands and watching people play the other football games. And I do notice when people play FIFA, they don't look like they're having fun at all. Mm. It's always serious faces and there's something about the game which takes people's humour away. And I'm not sure what it is or why it's like that. But, you know, when we had sensible soccer in the old days, people really loved playing and had fun. It was like a party game almost. Like bring Mm -hmm. your friends around, have some pizza, have some beers or some Coke if you're not old enough to drink beer and enjoy yourself. And Mm -hmm. I I just don't quite get the feeling with FIFA. People have the same feeling. Now, I remember playing PES when I worked at Codemasters. So that would have been in... 2000, 1999, 2000, 2001. We we used to play a lot of PES in their office in those days. And that was when it was really, really good. I I can't remember which build it was, Gustav, you would know, but it was really the go-to game in the office at that time. It's like, and it was really fantastic. So, but these things come and go in waves, you know? So we're in a luxury position now of establishing a new brand in the space, if you like, a new game. And, uh, it's quite fun because we're now with Simon Apple Arcade and we're kind of totally un- under the radar for most people. Um, but all the time we're just developing the game. So when it comes out on all the other platforms, you'll see what we've been doing. It's a, it's kind of a, an ideal situation for us to be in, in a way, because we're on a really pretty good, innovative platform in Apple Arcade. Uh, we've got a responsive audience and we can see how they're reacting and we can improve the game. And it's kind of, it gives us time to get it ready for when we come out on the other platforms. So this it's a nice position to be in, I've got to say. And uh, we're looking forward to 
to to getting this the we're, version we're, we put out next year. We're really looking forward to getting it out and showing people what we've done. Yeah, me and John, we we we've, we've discussed this a lot. Like, what is it that will would separate sociable soccer from from the other two big dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, and we've we've come to the conclusion that there's the the fun factor is often missing in in the other uh, games. It's too it's too serious, um, and we want to with a with one of our modes or one of our, uh, well, one part of our game, change that and make football a game and not only football, you know? It's going to be a, a game uh, where you have fun also within the rules of the football world and, and fun things that you've seen in the football world. And that's that's the kind of thing I think that Sensible Software stood for and that's what I would like to uh, bring into the game. From from like that's that's something that both me and John uh, feel very like warm uh, about. You know? Yeah, it's like uh, if you look at sensible soccer, um, about a third of the players, and many people have said this to me over the years. I don't like football at all, but I really like your game. And about a third of our players. But just guys who like decent arcade games, and and they actually disliked football, you know, um, and that's great to to, to hear that uh, they they enjoyed it for a game, and the th the theme was football, and it, they wouldn't normally have even gone there, but I guess one of their mates showed them it, and they liked it, and they played it, and uh, hopefully, social soccer will will become the same thing, and that's kind of what we're trying to achieve. Obviously, the game's online; it's cross platform. It's still got a huge amount of how many players? It's twenty twenty five thousand players plus we've got five thousand legend cards we're storing up and how many teams? Over a thousand teams. So it's mm. that same volume as SWAS. Yeah. Um but it's got the yeah, friendlies that you can play, but also there's some online friendlies now. Um we've got a uh, uh kind of a, like a career mode, but in the career mode you collect cards and build your team up and upgrade cards. And it's a different way of doing the same thing that you did before. You know, the world mode's the same. There's loads of preset competitions to play, you know, World Cups and Champions Leagues and, uh, you know, FA Cups, all with slightly different names. And um, but it's kind of got a lot of the, the sensible soccer content and we're trying to m maintain some of that spirit. Um, it's been slightly trickier to get that amazing really really amazing from the start gameplay but we're getting there now and we're, i'm really loving playing our game at the moment um with some of the changes we've made very recently um yeah, i don't think the I biggest don't... like one of the things with that we've worked a lot on you brought it up before it's like one of the things that you have to get right in, in a football game and uh, something that many fans get stuck on if, if if it doesn't work it's the goalkeepers so the goalkeepers are so important in a football game like uh, me and john has been discussing it a lot and we're discussing it with our program uh, with our developers and and you know this is something that you have to nail and it has to be it has to feel like the goalkeeper uh, is like he, he has an a kind of a 
uh, an AI, you know, that he reacts. If if the goalkeeper works, the rest of the game kind of, I don't know, but falls into place a little bit more than if the goalkeeper does not work. It's, uh, it's really it's really amazing. Like, we're, now we're getting the... <sighs> There's, there's so many observations I could give you on this, but people are so passionate about the goalkeepers. Mm. And Gustav is unfortunate enough to be in the eye of the storm of getting all the emails from everyone. And I occasionally look at them and the abuse you get. It's like, we really like this version of the game, but you've changed something. And now the AI is scrolling all the time and my goalkeeper shit and fuck you, you bastards. Seriously. Really? With those words. Yeah. yeah. The, but this, this the, the abusive letters are unbelievable. How passionate people are about it, you know. You got to kind of ignore the, the the swearing at you and just fix the issue because some of them are right. But it's when, when you're making a game and you're tuning it and you're now it's online. You've got you know you're making multiple versions of it. You're updating it relatively regularly, and um, of course sometimes some tweaks you fix one thing and slightly break something else when you're doing it and then set it back down again. And but people really react sens sensitively, don't they? Good stuff. Yeah, they do. Like they and. And from experience, like, I am taking everything really, like, chill. Because this is kind of, like, at when I was working for Konami, you 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 had a, such a massive base of players. And now, with this game, which is, like, interesting and, and, and something challenging, is to build a new community from, from nothing. Because... I, I already had a lot of players when I came on to Konami. It's like, it's this feeling of getting people uh, to feel like they're involved and, and, and bring their, some of their ideas to the table, um, make some small tweaks that make them, mostly it's like technical issues that I feed back to the team because that's really important to fix first. But then, there, there are some very passionate fans who describe some uh, interesting ideas that we, that we, that I share with John, of course, and we look at a lot of uh, things in the game, and and some of them uh, are 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 useful. Uh, I I like to I like to listen to the fans and just read what they have been uh, writing us because many of those letters they can be really really long and, and thorough and. I, re I remember myself being that person who wrote that letter to somebody and hoped that it would eventually reach the right person and he would be influenced by it. And I can take a, an example of that. I was, uh, I was working at Konami, of course, and I, I had this idea that we're, it was not in any of the other football games. And it was like, you know, when the ball, uh, when somebody gets tackled, the referee blows the whistle. And, and you, and there's a free kick. I thought like this situation, uh, in real life football, he would take this free kick really quickly, you know? Yeah. And, and in all the games, the game stopped and you didn't have this counter attack opportunity. So I wrote kind of a de detailed, um, <laughs> like a detailed, um, kind of text to Konami. And I said to my boss in Stockholm, can you send this to, to Japan? And then he said, yeah, okay. When I talk to my boss, I'll send this to him. And, and, and so after, after many years, actually, this, this kind of feature popped into PES, you know? So it, it came. And I, I was so happy when it, 
came into the game, I thought maybe I had a small effect on that. And I mean, uh, it's it's incredible. People people share like can put in so much time for something they're passionate about. And I I like to to really like confirm those people that put in so much time. Just answer their email. Say that we're taking your feedbacks. Write something personal. Like, do you like how are you enjoying our game? Uh, besides this that you have written, something like that gives them some something a little back. Because somebody that's passionate about the game, I mean, they are worth a lot to other people that also uh, can come into the community. Uh, simple as that. Uh, and, and from a, from a creative director's perspective. Mm. Um, good ideas can come from anywhere, anywhere. You, you know, once you've got the, as long as you are comfortable in assuming control at all times and making the final decision, and it's an advantage. One of the advantages I've got of having had a lot of success when I was younger is my ego is not always fighting for my idea anymore. Um, I just like to be able to make the final decision on what we do. Actually, I do push a lot of the ideas do come from me anyway and i'll push them in if i want to but we will listen to anybody because like i say gustav had an idea yesterday it was really good uh, one of the letters might come up with an amazing idea from one of the guys one of these you know reading between the lines of abuse there might be an amazing idea um it can come from anywhere it can come from one of the publishers we work with uh it doesn't really matter where when you're making trying to make a great product you you've got to keep an open mind but you've also got to know when to shut things down and say this is, will change our, our product too much. So you're constantly trying to find that balance, you know, between listening and but not getting overwhelmed by opinions and trying to keep the development team on one track to make the best product. And actually, you're kind of living up to your name because it's sociable soccer, and it, you obviously you're listening to your fans, you're listening to many people, and the whole point of sociable soccer is. To have fun with your friends. Is that right, John and Gustav? Literally just to play a nice game of fun football, yeah? If I can explain how the game the game works. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm just running up a huge design at the moment. So, yeah, ostensibly, the, the most important thing is that the football itself is fun. The yeah. reality these days is that people play a lot of games on their own. In, in sensible soccer days, a lot of it was playing with your friend who came around your house. Well, nowadays, you certainly can't because of COVID. But even before COVID people are less likely to play that two players on one machine, which is still the funnest way to play any decent multiplayer game, in my opinion. But that's old-fashioned. However, the online friendlies are now really, really good. And me and Gustav have played a bunch of these and a series of these against each other quite a lot. And mm-hmm. on social soccer now, that's really, really fun. Um, and also you've got, you know, a lot of, some of the game modes are against the AI, but they're kind of, against, well, it's kind of against, you're against the other guy's team. But he's not there, so you're playing the AI version. So the, you need to. It's, it's finding a balance of how you construct the game. So um, it's more fun to just play against people who are there. But to get a meaningful, say, a, a big league tournament structure, it's not fun to hang around and wait for the guy to turn up to play the match. So then in that case, you play against the AI of his team and he plays against the AI of your team. And then when he's available, he can play online, but you're not waiting for him and... But yeah, the actual match itself should be fun. And that comes from the action. And the reason that these goalkeepers we've changed, which is only this week, have made such a difference, is the goalkeepers changed the action. They 
we, we change it to have more chance of getting a deflection that he knocks the ball back in play, which yeah. then kind of creates a bit of panic. Because it's either in your defence to try and, you know, get a last minute tackle in or their defence to try and like slide in and poke it in at the far post. Um, and that adds, adds that little bit of tension and stress in your feeling. And mm. I've noticed that when we combine that, there's one game mode we've got in the, in the game called win streak. And yeah. basically win streak is, do you want me to talk a tiny bit about the structure of the game? Adrian? Yeah. I know that right. So, so I'll try to describe it in, in, in a short period of time. So you come into the game, it says, okay, set up your pro- player profile. What's your name? My name's Adrian. Which team do you support? I support Arsenal. Well, they're called Ashburton Grove in our game, but you're familiar with that anyway. Um, Pick a manager avatar and off you go. You've got your team. We give, give you 18 starter cards, which are pretty bad. And you're you're playing in the game. Now, bearing in mind we're an Apple Arcade, this is a premium game. It's not a free-to-play game. So um, you, you earn new cards by winning games in an online league system. Uh, and then you can also uh, play what we call a win streak. So you have 12 online league games a, a day. And uh, the season lasts for a week. And if at the end of the season you've got enough points from the league, then you go up to the next league up. If your if your points drop below a certain level, you get relegated. And if they within the middle, you stay the same. Um, and then on top of the twelve the twelve um, matches per day in the league, you've got this win streak, and this is like bonus league matches. So it's a series of five matches. But the only the only snag is you've got to win every game. If you lose a single game, then you you lose the whole streak. But after you win a game, it offers you a card prize. Um, it's likely to know you're an Arsenal fan, so it's likely to give you one of the Arsenal players as like the final card prize if you win all five in a row, which is pretty hard, actually. Um, but then you, you get to the point where you win the first card prize and you've got like a level 30 guy, say, and you're like, well, the second card prize is level 35. I'll go for that. And you, you play the second game and you win that. And the third card prize is like a 38 guy. And you're like, he's going to get pretty good in my squad. And then you're playing that match and suddenly you're 1-0 up and they score an equaliser and there's 12 minutes left. And you're like, oh my God, I've got 12 minutes to score. I'm going to lose my card prize I just got. And when you combine that tension with the goalkeeper like dropping on, they should have held. Then you get the tension moments in the game. Like There's little chances appearing for you to score. And that feels really great. And then in the, in our game, when you get your manager gets to a certain level above level 10, we open up called Club club Clash, which is a clan-based game. So in, in Club Clash, you'd be in the in the Arsenal clan, I'd be in the Norwich clan, and Gustav would be in the Helsingborg clan. And here it means that in the Club Clash, every season, which is a week long, our teams will get drawn into uh, divisions of eight teams. So you might have Arsenal and Chelsea, Liverpool, PSG, Monaco, Saint-Étienne, uh, Boca Juniors, LA Galaxy, and Nagoya Grandpas, for example, right? So you've got all these teams in the league. And basically, in the club clash games, it's like a tug-of-war bar between two teams. So you, you'll be paired up on Monday, Arsenal versus Chelsea, for example. So now... Every Arsenal player's got eight games to play and every Chelsea player's got eight games to play. And they're just, if they win the games, it's always Arsenal v Chelsea and you're just pulling the tug of war bar towards Arsenal or Chelsea over a 24-hour period. And at the end of the day, the team that's pulled the tug of war bar the furthest one way wins the match. Uh, And we're starting, we're going to add a feature now where you actually win some like special prizes for doing that after, after a period of time. 
But anyway, you win the match. And so at the, you have seven of these club clashes, we call them. These are these day-long contests. And at the end of those seven days, you've played every single other team in your group. So we've now got a group table of eight teams that have all played each other once. And then that gives us the, the season championship as to who wins the league. It's like winning a Champions League group, basically. And then that gets fed into a table of your form over the last five seasons of how you finished. If you finished first, second, third, fourth, fifth. And from that, we get a world championship of all the clubs in the world, 800 clubs coming out of this. So you're fighting for your clan. Also, when you win what we call kudos points to pull the tug of war by your team's way, you're also earning kudos within your Arsenal clan. So all the different Arsenal players are fighting with each other to get the most kudos. Uh, to become the captain of the team for the next week, for the next season. So you're also fighting, you're fighting with the, with the Arsenal guys together to beat Chelsea, but against each other to try and become the captain. So we've added this kind of clan play, which which is really a cool thing, actually. It's really great. Um, And then we've also got friendlies. Like I say, you've got single player friendlies, you've got couch play with two players, we're going to experiment a bit later on with 2v2. That's a way off at the moment. And you've got online friendlies. And then you've got world mode, which is 67 real world competitions. So, I don't know. Mm. All of that is open. It's like a compendium of football, basically. We are also, like, working on... Well, I I, I can't... I, I I brought it up before a little bit, but me and John, we're, we're talking a lot about, like, feedback from from your manager. So, oh, no, from your chairman. So, oh, the chairman, yeah. Yeah, so so that's the aspect of the game that is like uh, you you have this chairman that will constantly, if you want, uh, he'll he'll be there to give you feedback on uh, like many different things that you can uh, achieve in the game, like achievements, um, and those achievements become quite personal uh, i would say and that will give it give the game and all of its content uh kind of uh, this fun factor that we've been talking about yeah we're, we're, we're building all these features in which are not there at the moment so we've also been under some restrictions from from apple with apple arcade in terms of every platform's got its own way and the way it wants to work but certainly the communications between players and that kind of stuff it's been more difficult, but with the, with the, you know, basically what we're building towards, uh, hopefully in the first half of next year, is the launch of the PC and console versions of the game so with, social soccer, with Social Soccer 21. And, and and we're we're building in these social features to like coincide with this release at the moment. It's what we're working on internally. So things like when you're playing and the other. Uh, you can see the other guys like avatar on the screen as you're playing against him. And when he scores a goal, you can go, that was lucky. And he can send you an emoji of him smiling and you can send one of you crying and, you know, just, just winding each other up. Nice goal. That that will add a lot to the social feeling of the game. So right now we're, right now we're finding the balance of the game. So our online PVP is actually unbelievably good and quick. I mean, we're playing games between England and Sweden and they're great at the moment. And so, we're now working out what percentage of the games in the competitions, like the online leagues and the club stuff, do we want to be live and what, which ones against AI? We're trying to find the balance of, you know, we're testing how, how yep. 
robust our online PvP is, but the, the signs are good at the moment. So the more and more time, as more and more time passes, this stuff is going to, the social stuff is going to really kick in. And the other thing we're working on, which is amazing, is a total graphic overhaul to the game. So there's a whole bunch of videos we're making internally at the moment to like to prove what we can do. And it's really exciting what we can do. So, you know, when we've been working at the game on a, on a level of mobile, there's only so far you need to take it graphically. But for the consoles, we can take it a whole to a whole different level. And that's what we've been working on as well. So we're trying to strike a balance where we're not pretending they're going to be FIFA. We're not pretending we're going to be FIFA or Pro Evolution Soccer. We're just not going to hit that production level. We don't plan to. Um, and uh, and the game is not that serious. But yeah. it is a really well-produced game with a lot of fun, which is head and shoulders up above a lot of the like retro arcade loving style games. We're an arcade game, but we're a modern arcade game. So at the moment, our challenge is to establish who we are and what we're doing and to basically claim the middle market of football games. So, you know, high on fun, middle on production quality uh, with a whole bunch of depth. And that's, to me, it's exciting because it's like, it's like what we did when we made Sensible Soccer. Sensible Soccer was very much made for the time. And, you know, Sociable Soccer is hopefully, if we get everything right and everything falls into place, it's going to be like the Sensible Soccer of its time. It's fun. It's got loads of game modes which really engage the current technology. We also totally cross-platform game. So you can play totally across-platform in our game. The only thing that would stop us doing that would be the platform holders. That's, that's already working. We can we can already play mobile versus PC or PC versus Switch from any country to any other country with a touchscreen or with a controller or whatever. It's a totally versatile thing. So. It does just get in the passion from both of you, Gustav and John. You can hear how much mm-hmm. you put in your, your your heart and soul into the game. You can really come to us. It does look impressive. I've had a quick go on the on my iPhone. I've got an old iPhone, but it, it mm-hmm. plays on it, and it does look very impressive. Um, I mean, when exactly do you hope to release it fully? I know you might not know for certain, and, and ex- exactly what platforms. Well, well, okay, so I can tell you what we can tell you. So um, we basically are working with publishing partners mostly, uh, and that's our intention with the PC console as well. At the moment, we're talking to a whole bunch of different publishers to see who's the best partner for us. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, ultimately, when we release, will be their decision, well, not yeah, ours. Exactly. But, so, but it's, it's like, but it's likely to be, um, it's likely to be in Q2 next year. That's our plan at the moment. But we're always reluctant to say that because it could easily slip to, you know, sure. the next quarter, or you know, it never goes earlier; it always goes later. So. You know, the most I'll, important thing is that we have a really good game when we release it on these console and uh, the, the next gen and 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 the console platforms. That's that's really important. That's I mean, yeah, yeah. The platforms we're aiming at at the moment are the PC, the Switch, and then the the Xbox platforms and the PlayStation platforms. So um, that's what we're looking at at the moment. On top of what we're doing already, which is iOS. Um, Mac, Apple TV, Android, and something else. Can't even remember the last one. I mean, there's there's a lot of platforms, <laughs> and uh, to coordinate this kind of thing is takes a lot of work for the team, you know. Mm. Um, and also, we're doing a version in China, which is slightly different, which has got card packs and is free to play as well. So, um, 
this, the game is making a cross-platform game these days is is pretty complicated, and as Gustav says, it's the most important thing is that when the game's ready, it's yeah. it's good and it's going in it. So we can tell you what we're targeting, but you know it can change. Yeah, six months ago we were saying it was it was earlier than that, and the, the mm. deadline never only ever goes later; it never goes earlier, and. Mm. You know, I, I understand how frustrating it is for players who are wanting to get, uh, play a game and why is it late? But the answer is because we're trying to make sure the quality is as good as we can get it. Um, we could... And the people who have been following us on Apple Arcade can see our what we've done with every update. It's like we've added so much stuff the, the last year to our game. Like, if you look at the progress and in our development you'll see that we we've added modes we've added uh, in uh, gameplay stuff we've added things to the to the actual stadiums the uh, details we've 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 done improvements to to the different uh, ui modes we've done a lot and we've listened to our fans also um this kind of this kind of development doesn't come easy for for any company. It's like um, if you look at if you look at um, at Apple Arcade as a platform, uh, we've been uh, lucky to be on that platform uh, because we've had a publisher who's been really supportive of of the state of our uh, plans, so to speak. So they've been supportive when we've when we want wanted to uh, do these changes over time and not every publisher would would take on such a project and we want to we really want to when we come to to, to console and and pc2 uh we want to have this game in the state where people can play it and feel like this is a great game it's 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 the, the amount of relationships involved in making this is is pretty incredible. So it's m- maybe worth running through it. So um, apart from myself and Gustav and Dave, who does our data, um, we're working with our, our, our development team that we work with. Is, is called Combo Breaker. They're based in Helsinki. So we've got like about five or six guys that have been there virtually all the time. That the cast changes, you know, from time to time, but it's around about six guys pretty much consistently and then we work with um uh, uh a team in the north of england uh who do our work on our console versions and do the kind of like although the game is in unity so a lot the gameplay is more or less controlled by us but making it work on all of the console versions and making it go through all the certification of Sony and Nintendo of Microsoft, that's specialized work. And that's done with another company. So that's like another three or four people. And then our back end company, uh, uh, a French company called extra life. And that's another two or three people. And then you've got our translation company that does all the translations into different languages. And I think it's 18 languages. The game's in for Apple. So that's again, another 12 people. They're not full time for us, but they're involved. And then, you know, you've got a couple of people, a guy working, does the music for us sometimes, and other guys doing sound effects. Uh, you've got testing companies. You've got, um, you know, AWS servers involved. Then you've got um, on on the, the side with Rogue, who are our publisher that goes to Apple, our Apple, 
we're working with Rogue, and then we work with Apple themselves. And then in China, we work with Crazy Sports, who are our Chinese publisher, and we're also signed with China Mobile with them. And that goes through to other channel holders. And then we're about to add another publisher, maybe, on the, the console side, and then that will go to Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, and Steam. So the amount of people involved in this is really complex. And mm. all, all of all of the... All of these parameters and all of these things need to be balanced. And you know, the heart of this is like us and the development team constantly talking to each other. I mean, Gustav has come on. He's been kicking around with us in the team for, for, for most of the time, for four or five years. But but the last year, he's really been intensely involved. But myself and the development team, we've been doing this constantly for five years together. No, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's the only thing we're doing every day. And, you know, it, it, it becomes like a... It becomes your life. You know, this game is my life at the moment. I've spent the whole of COVID locked in my house, not being able to escape my laptop and my iPad and my phone and this game. And and not just me, the whole of the team. And that, that is the reality of, of of what it is. And the passion comes across because it's, it's all we're doing. <laughs> um, and uh, And that's good. That's what's necessary, you know, and, you know, hopefully that when we get these the, these versions out on all these other platforms and everyone can see what we've been doing and we appreciate Apple Arcade's, like I say, a bit of a locked away version. And even the China version is going to be a locked away version for people here, but it kind of suits us in a way. It, it gives us a lot of time to get it right. And, yeah. you know, we can relax once we've got it right, once it's out on the machines, once everyone can see our hard work and hopefully enough people will like it. Not everyone will like it. Some people will say, it's not as good as FIFA or PES because the player models aren't all like, well, their faces aren't accurate or whatever they say. Um, but that's not what we're aiming for. We're, we, we're aiming for, to, to do something new. And I think the longer we go on, the more chance we've got achieving, of achieving what we want to achieve. Um, we're building a pretty decent business out of what we're doing as well, I have to say. And, uh, I really hope we can, have a go of this and make it work and, and uh, bring some fun back into football games that are, that, are, that are seen as decent competitors for these two very established and very old games. And, you know, even you've got like Football Manager, it's a brilliant game, but it's also, again, something old and established in a different type of game. And you've got Dream League Soccer and, you know, uh, other other titles out there which are which are competing for the space. But, for us, it's just identifying what we are. We're an arcade cross-platform football game. That's what we are now. And uh, it's not so different from what Sensible Soccer was, to be honest. Yeah, because we're, we're going to have quite a lot of listeners now going, not really a football fan. I'm, I, me personally, John, a bit jaded with the FIFA games now. They're all a bit same, samey for me. Lost mm. its kind of magic. So this sounds like a sort of game that people who, you know, heart back to the good old days will probably really enjoy with like, new, new things added on. So it does sound... I'm 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 very interested. I have to say, you've really, you've you've yes. you tempted me to play 100. percent I'm I'm very good. You know, I can't wait. Um, um, yeah, I mean, great. I mean, right right now, I would say, if I'm really honest about where we are at the moment, um, we 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 launched Social Soccer 2020 at the end of July, so you know, about six or seven weeks ago. It's a big jump up from the previous version of the game. It has got a couple of annoying errors in it. Um. One of them is to do with the goalkeepers, and the second one is to do with uh, uh, the game. For some reason, 
resets you to basic controls when you log in so that people say, where's my chip button? It's because you've been taken to basic controls and uh, we hadn't yet had the option to easily change back again. Right, so yeah. people are logging the game saying, I can't chip the ball anymore. What's gone on? Uh, so that's been an interesting one for us to field. And I think at least a third to half of our user feedback is just about that. Um, so, but, 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 you know, as we go through, if someone's interested in looking at the game now, I would say it's, I don't know, 75% of what we expect it to be maybe, but um, maybe 66. I think, I think there's a fair amount of movement to be done positively. The, the version that we've got that came off literally yesterday out of the de development team is the best one there's ever been. Um, unfortunately to get that into users hands, you have to go through uh, the, the scheduling with our publisher then we have to go through Apple testing and everything else. So all the best within the world, even if we were desperate to give it to people, it would take at least a month. Right. Uh, and currently we already have a build in with Apple. So you're kind of like, you end up in some kind of a, a chain of waiting. We were talking about this today. We've got the version the public are playing right now, which yeah. was released on the 31st of July. Then we've got the version Apple are currently testing, which we submitted two or three weeks ago, I think. Mm. Yeah. Then we've got the version that we've, we're developing at the moment, which, which was yesterday's, yeah. which is better than the other two. And, and you want to get also, the feedback, yeah. yeah. You want to get the real yeah. feedback, what's going on, yeah. And then we're, they were also working towards our target to come out for Social Soccer 21 launch next year. So at the moment, there's four different active versions of what the game is across all these different platforms. So that that is the challenge, is to, is to understand, like, me and Gustav can play the game at the moment and go, yeah, it's brilliant. And we have to remember, hang on, the public can't see this version yet. Yeah, It's easy to juggling the perspective of talking to the public from their perspective. Then we're talking to publishers about selling them Social Soccer 21 on the forward perspective. And then we come back to where the game actually is now. It's a, it's, it's a really interesting and complex way of having to look at something, I've got to say. Lots of spinning plates. <laughs> yeah, more than the old days. It's it's more yeah. complex than the old days, and and the I think the public are slightly more demanding than they used to be. I think the public in the old days used to be very grateful and excited and like, wow, this is great. And now it's like, oh, that shit doesn't do that, you know. So that it's just an attitude issue. Um, but I think that um, I think that the of the users we have that like the game and play it the really loyal users are really loving our game and it's fair to say that right Gustav? yeah like we john was like john went today to to buy a trophy for our best player in sociable soccer uh like the yeah. first version that came out before 2020 came out uh, on the last of july so <laughs> this guy this um, this guy from the US, uh, he he's like been playing all of his games all of the days since the game were released. So, like he's the, he's the number one yeah, because yeah. he puts in like he plays these. Uh, how many games does it become, John? Like it's twelve plus seven. That's seventeen yeah. plus yeah. club. Yeah. It's twenty twenty five. Mm. 25 is minimum on uh, uh 25 is is what he'll be playing per day on the on the daily matches side yeah yeah so he he has really earned his trophy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
even little things like that, rewarding a, a player, you know, somebody who plays your game, purely, you know, a, a proper trophy. That's a lovely little gesture. I think that means a lot. Those little things really add up, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's fun as well. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's it's the thought that counts kind of thing. And, 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 and what's been really nice is, a lot of these guys who start off slagging the game off and it's just really a fashion at the moment that people communicate like that. Then you reply to them and then they become friendly and then they start to become allies of us. And then they, they give us really interesting and useful feedback. Like mm. the guys that are playing the game every day are the ones who understand it, how it's working better than we do from yeah. the user's perspective. So they've been really good in giving us insight into, um, what's happening, what's good, what's bad, what frustrates them, you know, and it, and when we make these changes, sometimes we don't realize the impact they have on people. Um, because from our perspective, we've got this big game on lots of platforms. There's loads of stuff to do and two publishers needing things from us already. And the third one about to be added. And we don't always, we don't always have the mental capacity to remember every single thing. And, you know, for example, accidentally, we didn't obviously test a bit that this game was resetting to turn the chip button off for some of our users to do with some weird thing that wasn't under our control because it only happened to some of our users. Um, those are the kind of things where we need that feedback from people to tell us what's going on. Mm. Um, because at the moment, there's too many other things going on simultaneously. So it's it's a different way of working. In the old days, we were just spend ages perfecting something, getting rid of all the bugs and then put it in a box and forget about it. Yeah. Um, I must admit, I do prefer that way. It's, it means you can just rest a bit more when you're finished, but yeah, that's not the way now, you know, I mean, the, 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 the way the systems are, you have to play by the current way things are. And that's part of how you can continue to make relevant games is to move with the times you have to, as a game maker. No, good on you, John. You're, you're, you're definitely moving with uh, what's happening right now. Credit to you. Um, before I go through some social media questions, we've got a few sort of questions for social soccer or just other sort of games you've worked on. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do. I just want to ask a question about um, Sammy Van Hattelow, who I actually interviewed a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, mm, yeah. It, it was a pleasure to talk to, and um, obviously, I think a couple of months ago, he, or Van Hattelow passed away, sadly. Um, it, yeah. he, he's, he's a legend in my eyes. He he was Max Payne, you know, was one of my favourite games growing up. And uh -huh. obviously, I believe he worked with you guys for a bit. I'd love to just have a little tribute, possibly a little story about him, if, if that's all right, gentlemen. Well, uh, I can tell you about Sammy when how I very first met Sammy and the team, um, Combo Breaker. So, uh. I was in PGC Helsinki, which is a, an event that happens every year. And I'd just been, it was an after party with karaoke in quite a big place. And, and I'd just been singing the song on the stage with a friend of mine called Oscar. Uh, we had sung Twist and Shout by the Beatles. And after that, I wandered off the stage. This is in 2015, in September. And when I wandered off the stage, I got accosted by these three guys um finnish guys yeah two finnish and one french as it happened and uh this was um sammy vanatalo and um yoni mananen and amar jewed who are all, all, all the directors of um 
combat breaker and one of the other guys wasn't there uh sammy i don't know unless sammy was there and i can't remember i can't remember which of those uh, who was definitely there but sammy vanatala was definitely there and um and, and the guys got chatting to me about this new company they're setting up and discovering that sammy was um had been one of the guys one of the founders of remedy like you say great games like max Payne and such mm. a friendly guy and they showed me this this Yoni showed me this ice hockey demo had been working on for an ice hockey game and I twigged this football this team could be the team to make a football game with I'd been planning a football game for uh, eight years before this or seven years before this and um yeah and and Sammy Vanatello is a kind of a made me feel very encouraged that this can work and this could be real and this company really could be something and it's like such a lovely man um it's yeah. unfortunately he got so ill mm. so early on in the production of this that i didn't really get a chance to work with him enough with his brilliant skills on the art side and the that, that he that he came with but uh, yeah it's it, it's been really good for the team i think to have to have had sammy there especially at the start of stuff yeah i i sammy uh contacted me like um through John uh, back in 2016 uh, he he and I we had a Skype call and and he said like hey yeah come over to come over to Finland uh we'll talk and he invited me over and I and he said like you can stay in my place and yeah he came and picked me up at the station he he and I I I I was just like he was so very friendly. He was such a friendly guy, and he had—I mean, he had left Remedy, and I feel—I feel from my from what I from what I, he, the feeling that he gave me was that he was kind of heartbroken by that, like leaving Remedy, like from what I from how I felt it, um, that his like life project was he, he that he was not kind of there anymore was kind of a, a big loss for him um but yeah we we had fun we uh he took me to see all the guys and introduced me and and yeah i i didn't come on to the team until a little bit later on in the production but that was I mean, now I can see what I've added to this team, and it's it's really good. And Sami had Sami Vanatol. He had he had this kind of he had a sociable effect uh, that you would like to have in a team. He he was at at before he became really sick. He had this kind of very friendly spirit, and and I think that yeah, we we would have if he would not have been sick he would have been a really great asset for the whole team it's it, it certainly in terms of the length of time it's taken us to get where we are with the game the lack of having sammy there in the team certainly uh we would avoid have avoided quite a few problems if he had have been there because a lot of his skills we were missing and we, it took us ages to replace some of these things that he he brought you know so, you know, I di- I didn't work with him so much at that level to to know how that worked, but it it was a master at 
working with graphics on the technical side and making things happen and being organized and helping with production processes and and all these kind of things and uh we yeah we um we uh, really missed that at the start and getting the way we were coordinating the project at the start. I mean, now the project is really pretty tightly coordinated, but at the start, um, Sammy fell ill at a time when we were, we could have done with that um, galvanizing of the team and the structure of what we were doing. And that I, I think we probably lost a year because of him not being well, basically. I mean, I didn't know he was ill when I was interviewing him, but the fact he even agreed to the interview was just shows you the sort of man he was. Um, Fantastic that you did that interview at that time. It's really mm-hmm. great timing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, interviewing a rock star and it's like last time, you know, like yeah. that kind of feel, that kind of feeling. You know? I, I feel honoured, and I was actually very upset when I found that he died. So, you know, obviously rest in peace, Sammy. You know, he. Mm-hmm. he I'm sure you guys agree he's 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 missed, isn't he? He's missed, and you know, he, he, he really hung on really well at the end for a long time. Is all I can say to you. You know, he 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 was he was surprised that he continued that long. You know, so he really fought that as much as he could. What 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 what, what, what took him down in the end? And, it, and uh, it's um, yeah, I mean. It's good to celebrate someone's great life, I think, and I think that's the way to look at it, what he achieved in that life, and and what a nice guy he was. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. You know, I'm sure Sammy would appreciate it as well. Um, just got a few sort of last minute, sort of random social media oh. questions to kind of, to finish off the interview. That's all right, gentlemen. Um, yep. some, some are a bit tongue in cheek, some are a bit cheeky, but we're just okay. we roll with it. Uh, <laughs> this, one, this one's for you, John. It's from Edward Packard, and he asks. Is it coded into sensible soccer that Ipswich Town can never beat Norwich? I've been free, free new up at half time and still lost. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That would have been a really decent thing to add, but I think that's a, that's um, psychosomatic, should we say? Um, maybe he's just trying to reflect real life, and he doesn't quite know that he's trying to do that. Um, <laughs> no, this, we we didn't do it, but I wish we had it done. Maybe we can add it in this one. <laughs> yeah, obviously, if people might be listening. They're, they're big rivals, aren't they? They don't they don't like each other. Is that fair to say, John? Oh, I think I think yeah. I mean, there's, there's not not a lot of love lost, but at the end of the day, I mean, we do. It, it's quite nice to have the matches between the two teams as well. I mean, Ipswich have been really struggling for quite a long while, and uh, that's not pretty healthy. That's not healthy either. I mean, I don't mind as long as we finish above them. I don't mind where they are. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> <laughs> um, another question from Ram OK Ram and this is for you John not this is wow we're not talking about football for, for a bit it says unrelated to football can we get a WizKid re-release what are you thinking any chance oh my god I love WizKid now WizKid is a good example of a game that would only get worse if you tried to redo it because have you played WizKid Adrian no it's a little no I missed that game truthfully right so WizKid is like a a really offbeat, it's like offbeat jazz as a game. Um, it was me and Chris Yates, who were creative partners for 13 years, and it's pretty much the last thing we did together, just as a two-man team, more or less, with Richard Joseph's amazing music. Uh, and um, 
it's just a really off the wall game for the Amiga. And much as I love it, and I really do love it, and I'm very proud of it. And there's a German guy on the internet somewhere. Some he did like a two or three hour walkthrough of it. It's brilliant. Oh, love wow. what he did. Um, I think this game would lose something to be redone. It's a game of its time, and it's got a certain feel to it. It's a bit rough and ready. Uh, uh, it's got loads and loads of quirky ideas in it, and it's a bit like if you redo Monkey Island. Like, yes. how much charm do you lose? Yeah, I'm a massive fan of Monkey Island as well. And the yeah. re- the updated graphics, it lost something, didn't it? I don't know if you played the updated version, but yeah. I did, I did. And, you know, it's a, people make a mistake. They go, I loved it in my childhood. I want it again, but on, on you know, on a modern way. And it's, it's really what, what I really dislike about the games industry. You know, when you've made a whole bunch of hit games in the past, you know, I would love people to just play our games exactly as they were made now on modern machines and you know without any effort i mean the the slightly frustrating thing for us as game makers is everyone else doesn't have this problem like if you've written a book or made a piece of music or made a film or whatever it can be easily replicated in exactly the way you made it now for modern machines and our stuff doesn't work like that so i think i think we will get there i think there will be some standardization at some point and then the answer is you don't need to remake Whiskey. You just you can just run it on your PlayStation on your Xbox or whatever because it will just work because all the platforms are made to conform in the way that it just works. You know that's how I see. Hopefully things will be in the end. At the moment, a lot of development time is wasted replicating something that was already done years ago. That doesn't really need to be redone at all. Uh, so yeah, I mean yeah, with Whiskey, love the game, but no. Not the one to remake. If I was going to remake any of our games right now, the one I'd pick would be Megalomania. Because oh, it's the one that can benefit the most from online PvP. That would be great, actually, that sort of game. I think it would yep. work well, actually, definitely. Um, I've got, uh, Gustav, I'm going to come to you. I've got another question for John here. It's a bit of a cheeky question. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> again, you don't have to answer this. But John, uh, Justin asks, why is Dino Dini, Dino Dini so grumpy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually I, I play in a in a band called Sid Eighties. Well, we've not played for a while now, but we do like retro gigs. You know, we we do gigs on like guitars and bass and drums of old game music. Yeah. Uh, and we were doing one such gig in Poland, and it just so happened that the Dino Dini was also over in Poland because he was doing a talk, I think, or something like that. And um, my mate uh, Barn Andrew Barnabas, who's it was we were playing together on stage it was only two of us doing this particular gig actually it's only me and barn um playing old sensible music <laughs> um uh he grabbed dino over to come and sit and talk with me and we had a really good discussion for about three hours and i didn't realize how stressed in a way dino had been about the situation of sensible soccer coming out and how much it had hurt him because he had hurt kickoff and he really explained to me the situation and how he'd felt. It was actually really cathartic and great experience to have this discussion. And uh, I think it, it did him a lot of good to get off his chest how he'd felt about it. And maybe he'd taken some things more personally. To me, there was no rivalry personally. I don't, didn't even know the guy, you know. Um, and uh, the, the great thing is that Dino came when I did a guest guitar solo in our set the next day. On him, yeah. So it, it, you know, it, it worked, and you know, 
I think that Dino's quite a sensitive chap, is what this is about. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought the kickoff games were great. I played them a lot. Yeah. Um, I think sensible soccer was better, <laughs> but um, I guess I would. Uh, but you know, I think kickoff and kickoff two were the were the best football games of their day, and that's a great achievement by him. Good answer, and I like that. I'm glad you guys, you know, you've well, not that it was a rivalry for you personally, but it's good that you've had that that chat definitely. Yeah, it was uh, good. Yeah, good stuff. I've got a question here for you from Pez Custom Faces. That's from the, the Twitter. Mm. It says yeah. it. Do do you think optional gameplay settings, arcade for fun, simulation for realism, is a a good idea, and two implementable? Something Pez should consider, or even something maybe Sociable Soccer could consider, but two kind of gameplay settings. What do you reckon? I think that in the beginning, like for example, FIFA in the mid nineties, they they had this kind of setting that you could play arcade or simulation and. And the game would be slower with simulation and faster with arcade. I I don't I personally I don't think that there's a there's there's enough time to make both games. I know that uh, with ice hockey, for example, you you've made uh, EA has made like they made the normal NHL and then they made NHL arcade. And NHL arcade was a Pretty good game, actually, but they only made one version of it, and and um, well, I like that game a lot. I, it it inspires me when it comes to arcade games. I don't personally think that you should make one product and divide it in into two parts. Uh, I don't think so. Um, other than, well, there hasn't been a great football arcade game in a long time, and that's where we. We want to come in, just as John uh, explained before. Yeah, that good stuff. I would also like to say that if you suggested that to the development team, they would just kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, here's a quick question, John. Jump can cancel. I, you know, a Facebook friend of mine. He asks, uh-huh. "Is is that Rude Hurlit on the box art? Obviously, sensible soccer." Uh, if so, did you get permission to use him? It's quite a famous cover of quite a blurred out footballer. He does seem to have sort of dreadlocks. <laughs> uh, I think he's got dreadlocks, yeah. 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 And I think he's wearing orange. Uh, but he's very blurry. I, couldn't, I, couldn't <laughs> <play him. laughs> I think I, yeah, good, good. <laughs> I did see Groot uh play live for Chelsea, actually, at Carrow Road. We must have lost. We always lose against Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was also there at, at Stamford Bridge for the famous Zola back heel for a corner. Oh, I remember that goal. Yeah. I think that was the fourth when we lost 4-1. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you get much personal say like on the box art for games? I know it's a bit different now, especially with like online games, but did oh, you... Yeah, absolutely. We get a lot. I mean, you know, we... Um, we we discuss it with. It depends on the publisher, of course. Um, but I think the sensible soccer one, if I remember rightly, that I, that just came from Renegade, who were our publisher, and um, and we were happy to go along with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think we get shown it. I think in those days you kind of got told this will be the box art. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um. I think we had some influence on the. 
I'm trying to think how that poppy with cannon fodder thing happened. Whether it was their idea or our idea, the poppy that went wrong and we had to redo it again. Um, but yeah, I mean, nowadays we've got total control. I mean, Amara, our lead artist, is brilliant at doing this stuff. And we've got a Chinese Super League license that we can put in all of our marketing, which is pretty interesting. So our cast of guys we can use for our like marketing stuff depends on who's in the Chinese Super League. So at the moment you've got like Rafa Benitez and Marouane Fellaini and characters like this that we can use, which is quite fun. Yeah, proper photos and so forth. That's good. Yeah, I mean we've got to use a minimum of five people on the on the, that's the, the criteria of it. But it's fun, and you know, to make a game look sociable, a group of people works for us, yep. and uh, it's pretty nice, isn't it? The art that we've got now, good stuff. Yeah, yes. we got. I mean, Amar, Amar, uh, our lead artist. He he has been like, he's been he's been studying other other football games and other football you know, commercials and stuff like that. And he came up with a really great concept. I think that our concept for Sociable Soccer 2020 looked just as good as both PIFA and PES, if not better. So, like, if you look at that one, if you have a look at that one for Sociable Soccer 2020, you, you'll see what I mean. It's up there with PES and FIFA, definitely. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've had a quick go. Yeah, it looks impressive, I have to say. Like I said, I'm only playing on my little iPhone 6, which is a bit old, my iPhone, but it, it looks good. Have you seen the artwork that, that um, was created? No, I haven't seen... Do you mean for the, the, the actual... No, I haven't seen the artwork for the marketing. The it's worth showing it to you. Oh, Keep yeah. on talking. I'm going to dig it up whilst you talk. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, uh, good stuff. Can you find it and share it in the chat? Yeah, definitely. So, I can do that. But, uh, yeah. I can find it. Oh, I've got a few more questions, John. Is that all right? Um, from Jamie Taylor. He's, he doesn't have a podcast called Waffling Taylors. But he asked here, what the heck was Canon Soccer all about? And who came up with the idea? Um, I'd love to hear how that came about briefly, if that's all right. Canon Soccer was the one with the grenade as a football, right? I believe it's, yeah, the mashup. Yeah, that, well, this was really fun. So in those days, in the Amiga days... Um, the way to get people engaged was to work with the magazines, and we did a lot of stuff with Amiga Power, um, amongst other magazines. And Amiga Power did a monthly cover disc. And the cover disc liked to kind of feature stuff which was exclusive to that magazine yeah. around a certain game. And we had a lot of fun with the Cannon Soccer. So Cannon Soccer, for those who don't know what it was, it was like a normal game of sensible soccer football. But the only difference was that the soldier, that the, the players were soldiers. Um, so they were like, I think it was England versus Germany <laughs> and, uh, and the ball was a grenade Yeah. and, uh, you kick the ball around, um, but every 30 seconds, the ball kind of like flashed and then exploded and killed anyone within a 10 to 15 meter radius of it. So that added this really interesting curve ball to football that you kind of wanted the ball until it got dangerous. Then you needed to pass it preferably to the other team. Yeah. So you'd end up just like blowing the opposition off the pitch and then scoring easy goals. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It was quite, it's one of the most famous, um, I think demo discs available at the time, wasn't it? It really got people talking, I have to say. It, it's just, you know, in those days, I mean, that's what I mean about FIFA being really serious. You know, people, you got Ronaldo slicking his hair back and it all looks perfect and that's fine. But we were just having a bit of a laugh and, you know, games are meant to be fun. 
It's like yeah. what Gustav said. Games are games, and part of games is fun. It's like we play games when we're 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 children, and you know, as children, um, we just like things which entertain us and make us laugh and smile, and you know, cannon soccer was that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Look, it's been a really good chat. I've, I've honestly, I, I meant to ask actually, would you ever think about making social soccer on a um, physical platforms? Was that is that a no go area? Do you think? Um, absolutely we could it depends on the publisher we're with I mean from our perspective once we make the game if it's on a physical p- platform or a digital one it's irrelevant I mean yeah. I, I, I would happily put it out on every single platform it's up to the, the publishing partner we choose and do they do box distribution um, in uh, when you've got like now with COVID times that gets even harder because you're talking about stores and stuff so Let's see where we are when the game comes out. Let's see what the environment's like physically for all of us first and then see what our publisher wants to do and then we'll take it from there. But, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'd have it on every format. Good on you. Good on you. Can Um, you see the artwork there? You got it there now? Put it right in front of me. It's very impressive. It looks very slick, I have to say. Um, And these are are these real players then? Um, Yeah, that is Talisca. Oh, that's yeah. And uh, then behind him, you've got Paulinho. Then you've got Fellaini, Al Sharari, and uh, Solomon Rondon. That's it. Well, it's so guys, they're all in the Chinese league now in different teams. So there, there are guys to put on the cover. Very cool. I mean, it's I didn't even know some of these played in the Chinese league. I thought they were still playing in different, like the you know the Italian league and stuff. But that's pretty cool, actually. It looks very slick. It does look really nice. And, and what's interesting is. You know, what's great about this license, because we've got it for a while with, through our Chinese partners, is that, you know, you don't need ultra-happening players to have decent enough players on the football cover to give it a lot of gravitas and make it look like a proper football game. I mean, these are all proper, decent, top-level footballers. Some of them slightly towards the end of their career trying to get a last payday in China. Um but it looks really, really good when you see them all together. So it's, it's nice for us to, it, it, again, it elevates us out of that pack of yes retro kind of arcade games, which were a little bit, you know, like we saw this on arcade machines back in the 80s. Um, that's not what we're doing. We're doing a modern game with a light feel. So it's a different That's a professional, I have to say. Um, do you, actually, the Chinese market's really interesting. I mean, the, the football is getting bigger there. Do you think that could be a real... Play a play area where, where your game could really sort of become it, pretty big. It's really interesting. It's like you know, we, so about a third of the Premier League um, money comes from Chinese customers. Don't even know it's that high. Yeah, it's, ridiculous. Um, it's ridiculous. I mean, we're, we're working with China Mobile in China. They are the biggest uh, broadcaster of like Champions League, La Liga, Premier League uh, on mobiles, like streaming kind of stuff in uh, China, you know, they stream to a hundred million people. The numbers are like mind boggling how big the market is out there. There's so many people out there and we've been involved like last year with social soccer. We, we even did some of the electronic holdings around um, mostly at West Ham. We did some of the premier league games just yeah. to put the game name out there. And uh, yeah, the, the, some of the Chinese companies were a bit interested in that as well. There's a, the Premier League is a very happening thing in China. And I've got to say, it's also getting stronger in America as well at the moment. Yeah. 
Yeah. You're good to tap in, definitely. Um, look, I've got a couple of final questions, John and Gustav. It's been honestly, I've really enjoyed this chat. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. you know, I've had a great time. Um, get a, cool. And my last football related question is. Who do you think will win the Premier League this year and the Champions League this season, if you had to make a guess? Oh, good stuff. You go first. I don't want some thinking time. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I I really like uh, Jurgen Klopp as a manager. He's a very, like, he's a very sociable person, I think. And and I, I, I actually, uh, I, I, I like that he, the way he, talks to his players the way that he does things and uh, and also well Liverpool had one really great Swedish player back in the days and he won the league back like the last uh, before this this year he won the team the the league with Liverpool so I, I I really like Arsenal too but I'll say Liverpool because they are the they are they are going to defend the title. I think. Yeah, even even as an Arsenal fan, I, I can't really think see us winning the league this year, sadly. But yeah, yeah. Liverpool. Definitely <laughs> <up there. laughs> How about the Champions League, Gustav? Who's your money on? Uh, the Champions League is uh, is probably like that. It's going to be really tight again. I. Without crowds, everything is kind of different. You play kind of without the same pressure as you as you used to play uh, with. I think maybe the pressure is even higher now. I don't know what you guys think, but sometimes I feel that uh, they're getting paid for <laughs> playing in front of nobody and having no like pressure on them. The crowd is. They create the passion and the and 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 so forth. But I'd have to. I I hope that with Henrik Larsson at Barca, Barca can make a serious challenge and maybe win it again. It would be amazing because last time Henrik Larsson was at Barca, they won won it before he kind of retired back to Sweden. So I hope Barcelona wins it. I think they beat a little club called Arsenal in the final, if I remember correctly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John, how about yourself? I'm less interested this season than I was last, but yeah, I mean, I'm used to this turning my attention between one league and the other. Um, yeah, obviously I follow all the football. Um, I think that I kind of, I feel that this season in the, in the Premier League that Guardiola's got a point to prove. I think that City, if, if anything, are going to get an even, got an even stronger squad than before. And I expect City will win the Premier League. And then I think in the Champions League, it's interesting. I think with the Champions League, there's three or four teams that have an advantage in all the rest in their mentality. And those those teams are Liverpool, Madrid, Milan, and to a certain extent, Bayern Munich. But I think mostly Liverpool, Madrid and Milan seem to, when they get going, feel it's their right to go on and win that that tournament and I have a feeling that Liverpool could win it again this year I think that Liverpool Liverpool seem to have a a magnet towards the the the, the European Cup Champions League when they've got a half decent team right. and I think it will be their time again this year but I think in the league City will I think Guardiola will want to win that and I, I don't I think City are a little bit cursed on the Champions League personally I can't see it happening. Yeah. 
Um, mm. And do you think Norwich will get promoted? I've got to ask you quickly, John. I know you hope well, they do. Do you reckon they will? Um, <laughs> let me think. Uh, the, the, the year we went up as champions is the year I didn't bet on them, which is really annoying. <laughs> um, uh, I bet on them this year, so probably not. But uh, no, I, I think that I think the three clubs that should go up are uh, Norwich, uh, Watford, and Brentford, probably. Um, I'm not so sure about Bournemouth adjusting so fast. We are the best team in the country at getting out of the Championship and into the Premier League. We might go get relegated a lot, but we get promoted an awful lot as well. And we've got a better squad than we had at the start of last year. So I think we'll be. I think we'll be there or thereabouts. We haven't found our feet yet and we've got four points out of six. And we haven't even played well. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say yes. I think we will. Good luck to your team, 100%. I do mean Cheers. that. Um, so the final question for both you gentlemen is, uh, I asked it to all my guests. If mm. you could ha- share a few drinks of any video game character, who would you choose and why? So, uh, uh, Gust- Gustav, do you want to go first? Video game uh, character. Yeah, any character. That, that's it's a quite. I, I read it through the questions before, and I came to this question. And I thought, who would I choose? Like, who who would it be? Like the because I am this kind of. I, I started with Mario, you know, Mario and Luigi, and those are like the the first kind of connection I had with the the gaming world. So I I. I do want to say I, I I would like to say one of them, but I'm trying to think of somebody that would be more intellectual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And plumbers, I get it. <laughs> Sorry, no offense to plumbers listening. Yeah. yeah, no, no offense on plumbers. Yeah, but but you mean I mean okay. Um, other than that, I I am just like thinking of uh, another game that I really like. I would probably go out and talk to the lawyer in phoenix wright series i don't know if you know it but it's a uh, you do it you 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 know it uh, i would i would sit down with that lawyer and uh i would say i would um ask him why he's gelling out objection every time <laughs> that's a good answer yeah. um, how about you john any ideas well i do have a favorite computer gaming character of all time i think uh, but my my favorite with him is because of the way he's animated and more specifically the way the graphics work with him uh it's it's stan from monkey island oh, uh, yeah. and it's because his jacket pattern doesn't move whilst his jacket moves <laughs> i just love the way that works and if i was having a drink with him i'd spend the whole time just staring at his jacket like mesmerized <laughs> and I'm feeling more and more drunk as the night went on i think so i'm gonna pick stan he's great salesman those, those go old uh old games that with the click and play uh, kind of uh, things. They had so much dialogue. I understand that. I would also choose one of those characters, but I, 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 I was playing the Indiana Jones game, and those they are on film already. I don't feel that they are real video game characters. No, no, you're right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. like game replicas. I, I love, I love that genre as well. Monkey Island, The Fate of Atlantis, and yeah. you know, Stan's a great character. Uh, he's also in Monkey Island Two, isn't he? I think John, he's a great yeah, character. Yeah, Monkey Island Two is where he's even better. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just mean the series <laughs> in general. But yeah, he's the one who's trying to sell you knockoff boats and stuff. It's... That's a great answer. Um, <laughs> most people actually, when they answer, say Lara Croft, but I think I'd join you with Stan personally. I think that'd be much yeah. more interesting. Be more fun. <laughs> just don't buy anything off him. I don't trust him. <laughs> 
look, guys, re- honestly, had a great chat. I know our listeners are going to love it. So, you know, I, sociable software, where's the best place to find out? Sociable uh, soccer. So, so, sociable soccer, sorry. Yeah. Um, slip, the, slip of the tongue there. But where's the best place, John and Gustav, to find out more information? Is there a Twitter account and a website and stuff? Yeah, we have a, we have a, we're on Facebook under Sociable Soccer. We're on Twitter, uh, Sociable Soccer. And, and we're on uh, Discord if you want to, uh, disc- like, cl- chat to any of, uh, we, some of the developers are on there. I am on there. If you want any information, you can contact uh, us through, through uh, any of our social media. We are on all of them. So, well, I'll, I'll put some show notes, uh, gentlemen. I'll put some notes in, in the podcast link so if you want to check it out. Yeah. Uh, cool. But, guys, honestly, thank you for a great interview. Really enjoyed it. And um, hopefully, we'll chat again soon. Brilliant. Thanks yeah, very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Mate. See you, mate. Bye. Ciao. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK, at Keith Barlow82, and at Arcade underscore Adriano. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcadeattackuk. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top tens, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes, where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, Take care and we'll speak to you soon.